Hey, it's great to be with you. My name's Tim, and uh, good morning. Welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have you with us this morning. Now, we're in a series called Meeting Jesus. Where we've been looking at, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever met a famous person. I've met Lou Brock. He was annoyed when I met him. I said, is your name Lou? Is your first name Lou? What a dumb question to ask. <laughs> is your, he had a big World Series ring on. You know, I knew he was a cardinal because he had a big World Series ring on. Okay, if you're a Cub fan, I apologize for that. But uh, but you know, talking to him and and I've and I've I've met uh, Jack Clark, Jack the Ripper. You know, he also has a World Series ring. I just now realized that. Wow. Oh, another Cardinal. And and so there was you know, and so I've I, and I meet you meet I, I've met Rick Warren. He he just said hi. That's all he said. But I met him. Okay. And I got a book, this autograph. Oh, you know. Maybe you've met famous people before. Some people you've met, and they've changed your life. Maybe they're not famous to everybody else, but they're famous to you. For example, and I'm not, you know, my wife's not here, so I can talk about her freely now. She came to the first service and went on home. And, um, and I'm, I met her at the Edwards County Fair. And um, though she may not be famous to a lot of people, she's famous to me because I've found the latitude and longitude mark Actually, where I stood by the Rocco Plains, where I first met her, and you know what a Rocco Plain is, look it up, uh, but I stood, stood there, right there at that spot with her, and said, this is where my life changed, really changed for the better, because she introduced to me Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is meeting people. In fact, you'll notice on the cover of the bulletin, there's a crossroads there, because that's what happens. You, there's an encounter with Jesus, and he met all kinds of people, uh, crowds of people. He would meet individuals of people. We know he met over 40 different kinds of people, or 40 people, 40 different examples in the New Testament. Uh, he met, by the way, one of the last people he met face-to-face was the Apostle Paul. You can stop and look at that in Acts chapter 9. That's exciting. But you know we see we see he's met. Uh, I was looking I was looking at my iPad a minute ago, and there was a sermon series. I have to go look. I got to check it out. Jesus and mean people. I never thought about. It. He met mean people too, and he did. You think about it. Pharisees. The Pharisees were mean to him. Uh, the uh, the uh, teachers of the law were mean to him. Pilate wasn't too kind to him, was he? No. So you and the Roman soldiers, and and yet he met uh, rich people, poor people. Um, he met popular people. He met uh, political power, you know, people. And then you start looking, and you notice he, the, most of the people he met face-to-face were, uh, you'd call, the lower part of society, the people from the other side of the tracks, so to speak, the prostitutes he would meet, people caught in adultery. He'd meet liars and swindlers and sinners, they'd call them. He, w- he would meet uh, lepers and criminals. Last week we looked at criminals. And today we're going to be looking, he met somebody from the IRS. Well, not really the IRS, it's from the Roman tax system, okay? The R, whatever S, yeah, R-I-S, whatever. But it's, but so the, so, uh, and we see that when Jesus was asked, his disciples were asked one time, why does Jesus spend so much time with sinners? Why does he spend so much time with those people across the other side of the tracks? And in Luke chapter 5, look at, here's up on the screen, look what, look what the reply was. Jesus said, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. You know, Jesus doesn't have time for people who think they're fine. He's looking for people that know they're not. And again, if you're a guest here and you've, you've been, you know, you're a, a guest here today. We want you to know you're in a room full of people that don't have anything together. If it weren't for Jesus, we would be able to put. We can't put two pieces of our lives together without the help of Jesus. Am I right, Church? That's that. So you're. If, if you're wondering, uh, these people probably think they're holy or better than everybody. No, we don't. No, we don't. Only God's able to make life better for us. Because if you left it on our, left it to ourselves, we'd mess it up in a heartbeat. We'd mess it up in a hurry. Okay. Now, what I noticed here is, is uh, here's, here's where Jesus spends most of his time with outsiders and outcasts and people that are hurting, people that are helpless. Uh, even, even his uh, 12 disciples weren't made up of the, you know, the sharpest tools in the shed, so to speak. If you think about it, they were unschooled, ordinary guys, is what the book of Acts says. They had nothing spectacular about them as academics or uh, socially or, or, or wealth or anything like that. They, they weren't known as a group like that. So he even, out of 
out of uh, the, the masses of people selected your everyday regular Joes. And so uh, here we see uh, in, in Acts chapter 19, if you've got a Bible you want to turn there, you can read along with me. We see Jesus meeting somebody that's from the other side of the tracks. His name is Zacchaeus. Now before we talk about this, I want to say a few things, okay, to kind of set this up. Because we're going to learn something about Zacchaeus. And I hope that you'll learn something about yourself. Last week we were at Jim Shrimp's house, our small group was, and we just asked a simple question after the criminal on the cross lesson. If you want to hear another lesson in this series, it's online already. And um, I just simply asked one question that had three parts, I guess. What I asked was, how did this lesson, what did this lesson teach you about Jesus, about others, and about yourself? And really, that's the goal of this series, is that we learn, learn what, what kind of Jesus, who is this Jesus about? What's he really about? What matters to him? What does he hold true and valuable uh, in, his, in his heart, in his mind? And then what can we learn about others? Because we're learning, we've been learning about Jesus all year, and we don't want to just learn a lot about Christ and be done with it. We want to be able to implement it and use it with other people. And so what do we learn about other people? And, what we, you know, and so we started asking this question, and people said, well, I learned that Jesus doesn't give up on me. Or I learned that Jesus just sees things in people that I, don't, I normally don't see. And what do you learn about others? That, other, that others aren't a lost cause. So we, that was the kind of discussion we had. Then I said, what do you learn about yourself? And there was a long pause. Because that's really the goal of this series, isn't it? I want to learn about, what can I learn about myself? I can learn about Christ and learn about others, but I want to know the truth about me and what can I do to be like Christ. You know, again, Gary and Susan did a marvelous job this past weekend in the marriage retreat, and one of the resonating thoughts that they kept coming back to was, said, whatever problem you're facing, whether it's in marriage or any relationship, you've got to ask yourself, will you be like Jesus? We've got to think about Christ. You know, he's, why? Because he knows what to do. He was the master of relationships. And so today, what I want to do is, I want us to look, I want us to look at a passage that teaches us something about ourselves, about how God sees ourselves, how God sees you. Because it really matters. It, guys, you matter to God. You know, a lot of us, if we stop and think about it, we, we, we find ways, we try to find ways to uh, somehow uh, figure out if we matter or not. Or we're a person of value. One of the things you and I have in common, we all have, one thing you can admit, we all have in common is we want to, we want to matter to someone. We want to be valuable. We want to, we want to be significant. And there's so many ways people try to find their significance. And I want to give you four here. Uh, these are the four quick bullet points that I believe that we use constantly in our society. That we're always trying to use, okay? One has to do with our appearance. In other words, how we look. In other words, if I look good, then I must be good. And if I'm pretty, if I'm handsome, you know, and usually it seems like beauty and handsomeness, if that's a word, uh, open doors for people. They seem to open doors more for people. And we spend billions of dollars as a society to, to, uh, on our appearance, whether it be our clothing or augmentation of some sort with our bodies or, or just our hair, our teeth, whatever. We're trying to look better. Why? Because we think if we look good and we compare ourselves. If we look good, if we look better than that guy, then I must be more important. I must be better than that person. The problem with that is, is that beauty fades. I looked in the mirror this morning, kid you not, here about the Doubletree Hotel, thinking maybe, you know, we're, we're in a, one of those uh, honored rooms, honors rooms, honorary rooms, and it's beautiful. And I go to this beautiful mirror, and it tells the truth just as much as the one at home. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken. I'm getting a little snow up in... One eyebrow's turned white on me. What is going on? Did I drink something? You know, somebody will go, I don't know what it is. Some of you walk up and you're so kind. What's wrong with your eyebrow? You say it's so sweet. What's wrong with your eyebrow? It's turned white. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. It's spray paint. <laughs> I don't know. But I notice I'm not as pretty as I used to be. Gorgeous as I used to be, you know. I used to be that hunk. You know, today I do, I, I'll admit, I used, to, I, I used to turn heads. I still do the other way, but still I turn heads. <laughs> But that's the problem with beauty, you know. 
you know, all of us could probably testify to that. It, it fades. The Bible says it fades away. You know, we start getting that spare tire or that tire rack in some cases. You know, we start, things begin, gravity begins to catch up and, and our skin is sliding off our skull. What's wrong with us? We, we're, we're, uh, we're changing. That's what's happening. We're changing. But that's the problem. You know, the beauty fades. Uh, another one is how much I have. If I had, so, if I've got so much, in fact, if I've got a lot, I must be worth a lot. I mean, it's my assets there. See, you know, I must be worth a lot. And well, the problem with that is, when you stop and think about it, you're kind of like at the mercy of the economy, right? If the economy's going good, you're doing good. But if it's not, you're in rough shape. Heard a preacher say it this way: you, you know, when you when you live off this idea of how much I have makes me matter. When there's a recession, you're going to experience some depression. And I thought, boy, that isn't the truth. And so that's so that you can't really rely on that. You know, your valuables and and my valuables are not connected to your or my value. Just because you have a lot of stuff doesn't mean it. Does, you because know, you can also assume, well, if I have a little, therefore I don't have, I must not be very significant. That's just not, that's not true. Another way we, we measure how we, va- how we're valued or how, what do we matter or not is how much I can accomplish. How many times you've had somebody say, what's your name? And you say your name. And what do you do for a living? What's that got to do with it? Everything. And it's funny how we have changed terminology now on job descriptions to give it some kind of credibility, huh? You know, it used to be flipping burgers. Now I am in the culinary um, field. Uh, I'm a chef. At, uh, you've never heard, maybe you've heard of the uh, restaurant. It's a French restaurant. It's called Le McDonald's. <laughs> you know, we find ways to, to somehow bring more prominence and importance to what we do. But the problem with that is this, is that, it, is that your, worth, your worth can't be measured by just what you do. Because... Somebody can do something better than you. The record you've set, guys, some of you guys or ladies have set in track or basketball, football, guess what? It's going to get broken by somebody else. Now what are you? Second, third, fourth. Does that mean your value starts going down as it goes down? You know, it's funny. Uh, the other day, Nathan said, look what I found at a yard sale. And it was a trophy, a nice looking trophy. And I go, what do you got that for? I just wanted it. I'm going to use it. I get put on a shelf, you know. Yeah, I won the Heisman. <laughs> you know, oh, well, that's cool. But you know what happens is our, our our trophies end up either in the can or in a yard sale for someone else to buy. And so, so we can't really gauge our value based on what we can accomplish. Now, the third, the fourth one, I think, is very popular. And it's po- I want, I'm saying personally, it's very popular in my case. And that is, we gauge how we matter or our value by what others think. Am I right? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Uh, what others think. Do you have somebody still running your life? Somebody else running your life, a family member or a friend, and you're living for their approval? You find yourself, and I don't mean this in a, in a, for our younger folks, you know, you're stuck in the fifth grade. I remember when I was a kid in the fourth, fifth grade, uh, you'd write a note, do you like me? Check yes or no. And you'd send it. And sometimes, you know, it'd never come back. What happened? And then you'd be walking in a hall and there it is. There it is on the floor, footy prints all, you know, all over it, mangled. No, check anywhere. I at least said, no, don't do this to me. You know, here comes the shame. You know, you just feel awful. You feel awful. But uh, you, know, you think about it. It's what other people think. What other people think matters to me. The problem with this is that somebody is not going to be pleased with you. You can't please everybody. I've tried it. And it doesn't work. And, and, and the thing is, to be honest with you, I still try. What's wrong with me? I'm living in the fifth grade again. I want people to approve of me. So I'll change my behavior, change how I look, change my mind about something. And then I, sooner or later, I, that person I'm trying to get approval from disapproves. And it just devastates me. A little criticism devastates me. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I tell you that. And you know, the funny thing about this, there's a study that backs this up that we tend to gauge our value by 
what the most important person in our life thinks of us. Now, who could that be? i tell you who it should be and solve your problem. And that's Jesus. If Jesus was somebody, you go, you know, he's the, if he's the most important in my life, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Now, it doesn't make you rude to everybody. It doesn't mean you poke somebody in the eye and say, oh, I don't have to worry about what you think Tim says to poke you in the eye. I didn't say that. But I will tell you, I will tell you this. I will tell you that when you focus on what, how God feels about you, all these other people don't seem to matter as much. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to please them. I, I asked how many of you are still trying to please your mom and dad. And, and uh, bless his heart, Drew put his hand up. You know, there's his mom and dad right there. He puts it, oh, I want to please mom and dad. Is there something wrong with that? And he's hoping, say, say there is, say there is. You know? But I said, no, 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 I understand that. We, I, want to, I want to please my, you know, I want my, my parents to be proud of me. You know, I want my, my family to be my sons and my granddaughter, everybody to be proud of me and, and approve of me. But the one that really matters is Jesus. Really does. And when I, when I start thinking like that, and I, I got, I'm just being honest here with you, when I start thinking like that, I'm a lot better shape. I don't worry about what you think. And then I can preach. I can, I can be myself. And I know some of you are disappointed. And I know some of you, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm looking at the approval or disapproval of Jesus now. And boy, that just, it just frees you up, doesn't it? It sure does. And see, this, this meeting that's happening here in Jericho with Zacchaeus is an example of a man who had, was, going, was after all these, finding, trying to find significance with all of these, and then he stumbles across the Messiah. And when he becomes the most important person in his life... It changes everything with him. Let's read about Zacchaeus here in uh, Luke 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. Most people believe he didn't really work. He was in charge of tax collectors. He was taking money off of these guys. And by the way, if you know anything about tax collectors, you know back then, I'm not saying today, back then... Tax collectors would gather taxes for Rome, which was an occupied government in Israel. The Israelites hated Rome, and they would work for the Romans, and they would collect taxes, but they'd always give more than they should. You'd say, how much do I, do I need to pay for tax? they said, well, according to this, and they'd add on their commission, or they'd add on a little bit more for themselves, and they'd tell you this amount. You couldn't argue with them. They were an agent of the government. And you'd pay that. There was no appeal process. You'd pay that, and then, and then they would take, and take the money that you really owed out and put it in the correct pouch, and they would take the rest and put it in their pocket. They were known for that. And notice it says here that he became very rich. So this was a very lucrative business for Zacchaeus. Very rich man. You could say he was accomplishing. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of value. But I want you to know he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. The crowd wouldn't let him look. You can imagine Zacchaeus. I'm 6'4". And I was a little short, scrawny, skinny kid until I was a junior in high school. I was the shortest, one of the shortest, smallest guys in my high school class until I hit my junior year. And for some reason, I had that growing spurt. And I could not keep clothes from, you know, cre- it was, I, I walked around like that a lot. I just, it was just all the time. I was adding, my mother would add denim to the bell bottoms, you know, because we couldn't afford to get new pants all the time. I was growing so fast. And you can imagine, here's this, here's this guy Zacchaeus, and he's, and he's going, doing this. You know, it's hard for a tall guy to do this. But just imagine the crowd is this, t- and, you're, and he's trying to get in, and it's like the crowd don't, they, they're, they're not even letting him in. They're not even letting him work his way and worm his way into the front of the line. If you've ever been to Disney World, you know how hard that is. If you're trying to work your way, uh, man, it's impossible. This crowd will not give you a chance. And it, especially this crowd in his community, because they can't stand Zacchaeus. He is a tax collector, which makes him a traitor. A traitor to his country. He's a tax collector because he's dishonest. They believe, you line your pockets. Why, one of your henchmen come over the other day and shook me for a good, much more than I know I owed. And you're a crook. 
You know, he, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, because he was a tax collector, he was not allowed to go to church. He couldn't go to the synagogue. He, was, he, he wasn't even allowed to set foot in a synagogue. He, he was cut off from society. His family disowned him. His own family would disown him. And so here he is with just a handful. If he has any friends, they're fellow henchmen. They're fellow, you know, fellow crooks, so to speak. That's all he really got. And what kind of friend is that? It might steal off of you too. So this guy's lonely. This guy's unhappy. He's short. He's a short guy. You say, how short is he? He is very short. Tradition says he may have been, he may have been the shortest man in Israel. Well, what are you talking about short? Well, you're talking about, you know, we represent the lollipop guild. That's short. Okay? Small. In fact, the Greek definition behind this word short, it literally means an underdeveloped child. So nobody's giving him a break. Imagine the names this guy got. Hey, short stuff. That would be nice. Hey, stubby. You know, I mean, you could just imagine all this, the short jokes. All the, you know, okay, we're going to line up from, from the tallest person to Zacchaeus. Like, we already know he's the shortest guy. Oh, man. They're choosing up for, for football, and he's not even chosen. I mean, you'd see all this stuff happening to him as he's growing up as an adult. And here he is with all this power now. He's, got, he's, he's probably bought himself this position. He's now become in charge of tax collectors, and he's still getting no respect, still getting uh, no honor. He doesn't matter to anybody. And so here he is, this short guy. And he says he ran up and climbed up a sycamore tree beside the road. You know, it was like a parade. Jesus is walking through Jericho. It's like a parade has started, and he was the last guy to find out. And he gets there too late, and he goes, ah. He runs, which, by the way, which, by the way, running, a man in his position running was shameful to do. It was, a, it was shameful for a Jew, a Jewish man, to run. That's why when you have the prodigal son and the father running to his son, he, he will endure shame to take his son back. That's, the, that's how God is. It's not embarrassing for him to run because he runs out of love. Well, Zacchaeus is running, and he climbs up a tree. That's something you have your slave do. Not a guy in political position of Zacchaeus. So he does something else shameful. And so he climbs up this sycamore fig tree... And Jesus is walking, it says, uh, uh, going to pass the way. When Jesus came by, he looked up. By the way, I love the NIV. It says when he came to the spot, to that spot, that place. I can see Zacchaeus, after all this is over, going, finding, where was it? Right here, and putting an X. This is where I met Jesus. You remember where you met Jesus? Zacchaeus can. Right here is where it all changed for me. And he comes to this spot, and it says he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, I like the song, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I don't know if he sang it. <laughs> you come down. I'm inviting myself to your house today. Jesus, you're rude. No, I can do that. I want to do that. Zacchaeus isn't going to invite me, so I'll invite myself. And that's something... God is more interested in having a relationship with you than you are. And you say, well, I'm very interested. He beats that interest. And so here, so he, what's Zacchaeus do? It says he quickly climbed down. I think he almost fell out of the tree, man. He climbs down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. And here's, the, here's that fourth thing we talked about, what people think, and what do they say? Well, he's gone as a guest to a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus, he hears this now, stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. And he wasn't going to do that in 20 easy payments, folks. He was going to do it that moment. Half of his wealth. We know he's wealthy. Imagine giving half of what you have to the poor. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. That's a lot of money. And see, I'll give it half to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody on taxes, he says, if I have. As if to say he may not have. 
But if I have, he goes, I'll give back four times as much. Only one other person in the Bible said four times as much, and that was King David, when he was so upset about this story, about this lamb being killed. He said, we get to find this guy. He's going to pay back four times. And Nathan says, you're the guy. You're the guy. You know, law required adding 5% or a fifth, I'm sorry, 20%, a fifth to if you took something from somebody, you had to give them back what you owed them plus a fifth. I think uh, Kobe Steakhouse charged just 18% tip last night, folks. 18%. It was worth it. What's that got to do this lesson? Nothing. Okay? I'm going to write that down. 18%. No, no, don't worry about that. And so after he says he's going to do this, Jesus' response is, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown, look at that, has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. He responded in a radical way, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. What do I learn from this passage? I learned some things about Jesus. I learned some things about others. But what do I learn about me? What will you learn today from Zacchaeus? Let me give you four things that, that I think will help you. Four truths about how much you matter to God. First, no matter how small I may feel, Jesus notices me. I don't care how insignificant. He's saying, I don't care how insignificant you think you are. You might be the most insignificant person in the community, as if being the shortest person. An underdeveloped self-esteem, if you will, like an underdeveloped child, it's a dwarf of value that you have in your life. He says, I don't care how insignificant you are, or how much you think, or how small that you think you, you are, I notice you. I notice you. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by his name. He looked up. He had his attention. Imagine for a minute, all the people, the crowd, the city, all the people that are around Jesus, and you know, he's walking down, and they're all cheering or whatever they're doing, and then he stops at that spot and looks up at that tree. How did Zacchaeus know that that was the spot. I remember when, when Denise and I went to MGM with our two children. She had that book that, she, that, that book that tells all the secrets of where to go. And she goes, okay. Sit right here. What? We're in the middle of the street, it looks like. It's like a plaza. Sit right here. Why? Just trust me. The book. The book says, sit right here. So we sit down. And all of a sudden, here comes the MGM parade. And here they, they bring these poles in, and they're setting them in the pavement, and they've got a strand, and everybody has to move. And we're having a parade here, you've got to get behind this. And we're sitting, and I noticed that, and there's a little brass door, and boom. And we're on the front row. These are amazing. I know, this book is amazing. It's just amazing. To imagine Jesus, did Zacchaeus have a book somewhere that said, okay, if I go to that sycamore tree, he'll stop right there. No, he didn't. He just found some tree. I'm going to climb this tree so I can at least get a look at Jesus. You know, he may not notice me, and nobody else may notice me, but I just want to notice him. And some of us here, we're satisfied. Some of you might be just satisfied with Jesus noticing you, but I want you to know, he, you know or, or you noticing him. Guys, there's so much more when he notices you that can happen in your life. And Zacchaeus, or, or Jesus stops, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, you come out of that tree right now, I'm going to your house. He stops what he's doing, he stops in the middle of the crowd, and he gives Zacchaeus something that truly says he matters. It's his attention. You want to know how to give somebody a, a signal that says they matter? Look them in the eye. Give them your attention. I was out here in the foyer one time, I'll never forget as long as I live. A few years back, I'm out here in the foyer and I'm meeting people. And some of you meet me and you know what I do. I'm looking around. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to see you. And I, and I, and I, I do this. I don't know. If, what, what, what's it called? Selfishness? I don't know. Anyway, it's, I'm, I'm doing this. And this guy, this old man who'd come for about three weeks goes, Hey! Hey! And I go, Yeah, what? He goes, Look at me. I'm talking to you. What are you look, who are you looking for? I'm right here in front of you. I've been coming to your church for three weeks. For crying out loud. 
Talk about repentance. Yes, sir. I had people bouncing off of me, poking them in the eye, shoving them away, kicking them over. Yes, sir, whatever you say. And we sat and talked for a good 30 minutes after church. I wasn't taking my eyes off him ever again. Yes, sir. What was he looking for? What we all want. Attention. Don't, Don't lie to yourself. We all want it. We never outgrew those baby years. Watch me, Mommy. Watch me, Daddy. I got two grandkids, and they can't speak English like me yet. Praise God. But they can't speak English. They're not... Spe- I, I, got, I, I heard Carmody say to me... Denise had her on the phone uh, while babysitting. He goes, oh, look, Carmody wants to talk to you. She's, hold- she's got her hands up. Okay. Carmody, and I hear on the other end... <sighs> Denise, is that you? (laughs) Your granddaughter. Oh, hi, Carmody. Hi, baby. Hey, Carmody. Hi. She finally goes, hi. I'm going crazy. Okay, let me talk to Grandma. Hi. Okay, we've established you can say that word now. Let's. How about bye? Can you say bye? Hi. Got it. Okay. We got that. Denise goes, did you hear? Yeah, I heard her. It was, it was exciting. Nora can't say anything. Just looks at me and drools sometimes, you know. And <laughs> what I love is the other day, we're at, over at, at Nathan Nicole's house, and there's Nora, and she's doing something, and she hits something and turns around and looks at me. As if to say with her eyes, you watching? Are you seeing this? I think she can walk. She just hides it from everybody. She wastes her all looking somewhere else and... And then as soon as as we start looking, she puts her hand back on the couch and does this routine. You watching me, Grandpa? Already she's doing that. You're giving me that look. Yes, I got to watch you. I got, of course I want to watch you. And you know, I, I, she is a, she, right now she don't want a, a toy. She don't want a, you know, a, a flower. She wants Grandpa to watch. He wants Mom and Dad to watch her. We never outgrow that, do we? And you know, we, we still crave attention. I've had times, guys, I've talked to my friends and I'm trying to talk to them and try to get eye contact. And I've literally lowered my head down until my ear is in my soup. That's happened to me, trying to get... This person that I think is so important in my life's attention. You do not have to do that with Jesus. You don't have to fight for his attention. He wants to give it to you. And he gives Zacchaeus his attention and his time. And Zacchaeus, everybody else is kind of kicking him aside. Any attention he gets isn't very good. But this, for a long time, he's getting a kind word. He's getting seen, noticed. And Jesus gives him the most valuable thing he could give him at that moment, his time and attention. I don't know what you're going through right now. You might be up a tree and out on a limb just like Zacchaeus. But I want you to know you've got God's full attention. The Bible says he's the apple of your eye. That's what it says here. And if you look at this passage with me in Deuteronomy 32, look what it says here. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in the dead. He's talking about it. He's talking about his people. If you're a Christian, I want you to know, you've got God's full attention. And in the waste howling wilderness, he led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. It's not the only translation or version that says that. What's it mean? The pupil of his eye. What's it mean? He's right at the center of, of his attention. You are. I am. Look at it says here in Luke 12. God never overlooks a single sparrow. You know there are 200 to 400 billion birds on the planet right now? And the Bible says God never overlooks a single bird. And He pays even greater attention to you. I can't keep track of two kids when I was raising them. How does He keep track of 200 to 400 billion birds? And He says, and I give you greater attention than that. Down to the last detail. I've even got the numbers of your hairs numbered. And some of us, he's constantly having to subtract a few. You know, uh, he's, he's, kept, he's got the current number. The current number right now. He knows that much detail about you and I. Do you know anybody that knows that much detail about you? I don't know anybody like that. My wife is the closest. And yet, she doesn't know me as well as God does. 
No matter how small you might feel this morning, I want you to know God notices you. You matter, that's why. You matter. Like a grandpa looking at a granddaughter or a, a preacher focused on a guy who's looking for some attention, God just makes that look like nothing. He has got his full attention on you. He looks up at Zacchaeus and says, come down on that tree, Zacchaeus. I want to spend some time with you. I want a relationship with you. Number two, no matter who ignores me, Jesus knows me. You ever been ignored? That's a dumb question, I know. Everybody's been ignored. Somebody's giving you a cold shoulder. Somebody doesn't act like they see you. And you know they saw you. Zacchaeus, this was his lifestyle. People wouldn't give him the time of day. People didn't want to have anything to do with him. He was a thief. He was a crook. The Bible says when Jesus came by, everybody else is going by, but when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Now, I bet you Zacchaeus can remember a lot of names he's been called. Huh? Over the years, maybe from his family, maybe from his friends, maybe from the crowd. I think about, I, I don't know why, I did, a thought went through my mind. You know, uh, may, uh, Andy Griffith's show, Barney, how the, remember the townspeople thought he was a joke with his one bullet? You know, they had names for him. They'd make, and Andy would come in and, and defend him and save the day and, and somehow reclaim Barney's status in the community. Here's a guy who's getting no respect. Probably hasn't heard his name in years. And Jesus turns to him and calls him by name. I can see Zacchaeus thinking, how does he even know my name? How does he know my name? God knows everything. Guys, God knows where you are and who you are. You don't have to worry about that. And what's he called Zacchaeus? He calls, him by the, he calls him by his name. And what does his name mean? It means pure one or righteous one. Ha! That's the furthest thing from the truth in Zacchaeus' case, huh? That guy's a crook. No, wait a minute, Jesus. I don't think you realize who you're talking to. If you ask some people down there, they'll tell you. Um, I go by Shorty, Crook, Shyster, you know, you name it. They've called me every name in the book. Yeah, but here's the name that I'm calling you. I'm calling you the name pure one or righteous one. But I'm not pure and I'm not righteous. Well, look, I'm not treating you like you are. I'm treating you like who you could be. See, Jesus is not pointing out the past. He's affirming Zacchaeus' potential. And I want you to know, people will label you, people will label me, But Jesus has a name for you, too. And it's the name that reveals your fullest potential, that Christian, Christ-likeness. Oh, I'm nothing like Christ. I'm nothing like Christ. This week, man, I blew it. But he still, he doesn't sit there and go, yeah, I know you blew it. Does he know you blew it? Yeah, he knows you blew it. But he still calls you one of his. And he still calls you Christ-likeness, a brother, a sister. Praise God. And a lot of us sometimes, some, some of us here probably feel this way. If I get real close to Jesus, he's going to be able to point out all the bad things I've ever done. And I want you to know that is not true. You get close to Jesus, he's not going to point out all the bad stuff. He's going to bring out all the good stuff in you. Because he knows what you're capable of. He created you and made you. Now, you, you're not as in tune with your creation. I'm not as in tune with my creation as God is. He knows how you tick and I tick and knows how to make the best happen. You know, it's, Nathan's got this car, this cabrio we've had, we bought off eBay. He's shaking his head already because it's breaking down all the time. It's time for it to go. I know that. You know, and I've been fixing it. And we've been fixing it. You know, and, and this past couple weeks ago, it, it quit running. And I said, I know what it is. I open up the hood and the belts are off. I go, I know exactly what it is. I knew exactly what it was. Really, Dad? Go to the boneyard, find a new part, put it on, and it's running kind of rough, and I know what it is. I've worked on this car so much, it's one tooth off on the distributor. I put the, pick up the distributor, move it, click, start up, sounds like a race car again. 
until it breaks down. It'll, it'll run great. I've worked on it so much, we we're so familiar with it. We've done clutch work, strut work, we've done uh, emergency cables, interior work. We just know the car. God knows. He's worked on you. He knows what you're capable of, above, uh, of more than you do. He just knows that much about you, okay? And He wants to bring out the best in you. Why? Because you matter to Him. He made you. Look what the Bible says here in Isaiah 49. Yet Jerusalem says, this is what God's people are saying. Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And God says, never. I'd never do that. Can, can a woman forget her nursing child? And the answer is, ladies, no, of course not. Can she feel no love for a child that she has born? Oh, that never goes away. But even if that were possible, even if it were possible for that to occur, he says, I would not forget you. Look, look, see, I have written your name on my hands. And that's a prophecy about Jesus on the cross, whose whose scars bear your name, of how much you matter to him. No matter how insignificant you may feel, guys, Jesus notices you, and you've got his attention right now. Yeah, he's going to come down on me. No, he's not. He's wanting to get you to come out of your stuff and so he can bring out the best in you. And even if, if, if no matter if people ignore you, he knows you. He understands. He's watched you grow up. He's watched you born, grow up, go through school, go through marriage, maybe another marriage, go through several jobs. He knows. He's watched you cry. He's watched you laugh. He's watched you worry. He knows all about you. And this third point, it matters. This matters even more to me than anything. No matter what I've done, Jesus wants me. That's what we learn here. He wants me. No matter what I've done, I've done some stupid stuff. He still wants me. He still wants me on his team. He still wants me in his family. He still wants to be close to me. He still wants to go home with me. You know, Zacchaeus is all messed up. He's cheated people. He, you know he's experiencing lots of guilt and shame because of that. He's very unhappy. He has very few relationships. He's probably bitter at people, too, the way they've treated him over the years. He's grown to be cynical and bitter toward other people through his, maybe his community. But, and, and, and who comes along? The, nobody's asking uh, him over to his house. No, nobody's, asking, nobody's inviting Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, hey, I want to come to your house instead. Look what he says here. When Jesus got there, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. He invites himself to dinner. This is what Jesus does. I heard a preacher say, He's having dinner with a sinner. That's funny. And Zacchaeus is like, You want to be you you want you want to come to my house? Man, are you kidding? You know, oh, Zacchaeus, you should have invited Jesus to your house. Oh, so why would invite him? Why not? Because he wouldn't come. So Jesus just bypasses all that nonsense and says, Hey, I want to come to your house. Don't you understand, Jesus? I'm a cheater. I'm no good. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. Yeah, that's why I came. I came for people like you. I want to be with you. I want to be at your house. You know, Zacchaeus has got to be ashamed of himself, guys. He's got. And by the way, when you think about that, he's not the only person that ever feels shame, right? We all feel that. And yet God says, I want to be with you. That's what we learn here from this guy about ourselves, about Jesus and ourselves. You know, Zacchaeus, guys, is not the only short person that's ever lived. We all are short. We all have fallen short of God's glory. That's what the Bible says in Romans 3, that we've fallen short, miserably short. Can you think of places you fell short? I tell you, I can think of places where I fell short as a husband. The God-awfulest things that I've done to my wife, said to my wife, fallen short of being that. That's what I learned even this weekend, to remember. You know, I, I can tell you now, I've been married to two different women. It's the same woman. She started changing on me. And I'm learning how to love her, this, this other woman. What, what happened to Ever since her mother passed away, my wife's not been the same. Her life has just went topsy-turvy. And I, I'm learning to love this woman. And I, and, and what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that I fall short of that. I'm still, 
I'm still treating her the way I would treat maybe the other Denise. And I'm learning, I have to adapt. I have to change. I have to learn and adjust. You know, I, I think I failed as a father a lot of times. I, I, I fell short as a dad many times. Blaming my kids for something they didn't do or not encouraging them in the right way or doing something for them too quickly. As a preacher, I know I failed you. I know I fell short many times. Whether the sermons, that's a gimme. But I'm talking about just, you know, decisions and what to do with some of you. And, oh man, fall drastically short. And as a man, fall short. Can you think of places you fell short? Broke a promise that you made? Unkind somewhere? When a person just needs you to be kind? Bitter about something? No matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, it's what a thrilling thought. Jesus wants me. He still wants me. Messed up. He still wants me. Rick Warren tells a story about he went to a prison in California, Northern California. They had 6,000 inmates. And he said, how do I teach these guys that they matter? You know, society, we live in a throwaway society. And what we do with some people is we put them in these trash cans called prisons. And he says, how do I get them to understand? Because guys, listen, when I, do, when I realize I matter, it will change my heart and change my life. So here's 6,000 inmates. He pulls out a $50 bill and he says, guys, how many of you want a $50 bill? And all the hands went up. You know, who could use 50 bucks in prison, you know? So he takes it and crumples it up in his hands and goes, now how much, how many of you want this $50? Of course, they all put their hands up. He tears it in pieces and they still got their hands up. He puts it on the ground. He says, I put it on the ground. I went, and I put my foot on it and I'm just running it in the dirt. Because we're in the yard, you know, and I'm just, and it's all, now it's got spit on it, torn up, it's all messed up. How many of you want this $50 bill? And all the hands went up. Why in the world would you want it? And a guy in the front row goes, because that's still a $50 bill. What you do to it doesn't change its value. And what you do to yourself or what anyone's done to you doesn't change your value either. You're still, you still matter. You still matter to God. Zacchaeus, you know, he's all messed up. And, and Jesus just loves this guy. Why would you do that, Lord? You know, why, why, do you, why, are, you, um, why are you wanting to be with him? And I think Jesus, Jesus would let us know this morning, well, it's because I'm more interested in changing him than condemning him. And God is more interested in changing you than condemning you this morning. He wants to change you. He says he came here to this world to save sinners, not to condemn the world, but to save sinners. So if you're messed up this morning, and who isn't, but if you wonder, and you know though, I'm messed up this morning, man, God wants you. You're just as attractive to him now as you were when you were pure and innocent. Number four, no matter what others say, Jesus affirms me. Other people are displeased, it says. They started grumbling. Why, this guy's a guest of, the, of a notorious sinner, they grumbled, is what the Bible says there in verse 7. The crowd, you see, the crowd is stunned. The haters are critical of Zacchaeus. We all got those haters. And they're critical of you and I, aren't they? If people only knew, and they try to do their best to dig up the dirt on you, they want to expose you. They think if they do that, that'll shame you and put you in your place. And Jesus already knows all of the dirt that Zacchaeus has, just like he knows all your dirt and my dirt. And he wants to put Zacchaeus in a place and you in a place, and it happens to be the same place, and that's with him. With him. He's not interested in throwing you away. He's interested in not recycling you, but restoring you. I mean, just imagine the names that Zacchaeus is hearing. You know, this is a notorious sinner. I mean, Luke might have cleaned this up a little bit. Well, that's a cheater. 
Here's, that guy's a, he's, there's no hope for him. He's a loser. And maybe, there, maybe that old kid, you know, some, remember your childhood name in high school, maybe a high school nickname you got you hated? They called you. And somebody from high school is around, and they're adults now, and they bring up that name again that you thought everybody forgot. And maybe they've done that with Zacchaeus too. But Jesus steps in and defends this man. Did you notice that? When everybody else is saying, this is what we think of him, Jesus says, well, let me tell you what I think of him, and this is what matters. He responded, salvation has come to this to his home today, to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. See, guys, what God says about you matters more than what others think, what others say. I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to constructive criticism. We shouldn't listen to challenge. But guys, I want to tell you, the labels and the put-downs and the attacking, the character slurs, listen, ignore them. Uh, Nathan, isn't there a book, something about the chatterbox? Is that... And there's that chatter inside you hear and inside your head. You know, this morning... Um, I, I was trying to get my notes ready, and usually I have a exact. This is how silly it is. This is how I just got. This is how silly it gets sometimes, and I don't have my exacto knife and my little T square I use to get all my notes perfectly nice and cut at right size, and you know, and, and I, I don't have it all just right. I'm having to fold it four or five, six times, and then tear it. You ever done that? And I'm tearing, and it tears off. I go, man, I'm such an idiot. I'm telling, I'm an idiot. And I said, Lord, see, I'm an idiot. I, I wonder if God just wants to grab us by the back of the head and go, Stop talking like that! Yeah. You know, it's enough that people might call you an idiot, but don't call yourself that. Because you matter to me. And those lies, these things, you know. And, and so, even what I say to myself, we need to, you, you've got to reconsider. I have to reconsider. Because what others say don't matter as much as what God says about you. So, how do I respond to Jesus when this happens? What other other response could there be? That's what I want you to ask yourself. What rational response would make sense to reject somebody? That doesn't make any sense. To put him off, that don't make any sense. What's Zacchaeus do? It says he scrambled out of the tree. I think he nearly fell out of the tree. You ever try to get out of a tree real quick and you almost lose your balance? I can just see him scrambling out of the tree, hardly believing, it says, his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. What's the response this morning I want to challenge you to do? Take Jesus home with you. If you're not sure what to do with Jesus, do so, let me tell you, immediately, as quick as you can, you need to come to Jesus who knows you and loves you and wants you because you matter. Zacchaeus jumped at the chance. I mean, when you've got a God that loves you like this, how could you say no to Him at all? Gosh. And look what Zacchaeus does. Here's what I notice he does. He stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. What's Jesus's rea- uh, or Zacchaeus' reaction to knowing that he matters. Generosity. He's not thinking about himself anymore, but others. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll give them back four times as much. Remember Jesus said salvation comes to this house because this man showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. His faith moved him to change. And he became that righteous one. He became that pure one that no one thought he could be except Jesus. This morning I want to ask you, are you up a tree? Are you out on a limb? Are you content with just getting a glimpse of Jesus or would you like to really meet him? Maybe you met him, but you've gotten away from him. Why not this morning make a conscious decision? I want to meet Jesus. And maybe for some of us that means, I don't know where to start, Tim. I want a personal Bible study. I want to get a Bible open with somebody, and I want to know who this Jesus Christ is about. I matter to him that much. 
I want Him to matter that much to me. Or maybe you've gotten away from the Lord and you go, what do I do? I need, right there where you sit, I'm deciding I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm recommitting my life to Christ. That's what you put on that card. You check that box. And you let somebody get with you. You get with somebody and say, listen, I don't want this to be just something, you know, I could see Zacchaeus saying something like this. I'm giving back all this stuff. And he didn't do it. I want to follow through. I want to get serious about Christ again. But I'm going to need some help following through. Why not let somebody help you this morning? You know, Jesus said these words, Anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And when I obey the Lord, we have a home together, just like Jesus and Zacchaeus. And it's not for an afternoon. It's forever. We're going to sing a song and give you a chance to respond to this lesson in some way. We don't have an altar call. We just let you respond right there in your seat. You can just write on your communication card. Maybe there's a prayer request you want to make. Maybe there's a decision you're wanting to make. Write it down. Let people pray for you. I want you to know these cards go to our prayer team, our prayer ministry. And they pray specifically what you've written about in those cards. And they pray for you all week long. You've got somebody going to God, praying for you every day. Take advantage of that power, the power of prayer. And if you've made a decision, you want to study the Bible, I encourage you, let somebody know here, hey, open the Bible up with me. Would you do that with me, please? I want to know more. And if you've rededicated your life, if you're going to rededicate your life this morning to the Lord, make sure you hook up with somebody. Get into a small group, a discipleship group. Get into some relationships that can help you get there. Not only to meet Jesus, but to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this lesson, Lord. Thank you, Father, for giving me energy this morning. Father, I was exhausted before we started. I didn't know if I could even get through this sermon. And Father, you've just been so good to me this morning. Thank you. Father, let us see that the way we look or the things we have or what we accomplish or what others think don't really set how valuable and how significant we are nearly as much, Father, as what you think. Father, we pray that you convince us, convince, Father, I know that a sermon doesn't do it all. We have to think about this and mold it over in our minds and think about it again and again and again. And Father, I pray you help out those of us here to do that very thing and convince us, Father, change our hearts and accept that we do matter to you. And Father, so we can, we can forgive ourselves for some of the things we've done. We can hold our heads up, Father, and not hang them in shame anymore, but hold them up in victory. Lord, I pray that for those of us here who just feel so small and insignificant, Father, let us as Christians notice them, but Father, let them see how you have got your attention on them right now. You're looking at them and focus on them more than ever before as the apple of your eye. And Father, I pray for those of us here who, you know, that we, we're just so used to people looking the other way and ignoring us to, to have the satisfaction of knowing that you know us, Father, and you want to know us, and that by being close to you, Father, you want to bring out the best in us. Oh, God, we've messed up. Some of us here have messed up big time. We've done some big things. And the idea that you want us is hard to accept. But, Father, you know, you look at Zacchaeus, we have to consider... We have to consider what the Word is saying here. Father, help us see that You want us. No matter how, that no matter how crumpled or torn or spit upon or dirty we've gotten, that we're still as valuable as we ever have been in Your sight. You, you died on the cross, Father. Your Son died on the cross to, to establish, not establish, but to confirm that value. And Father, help us live based on what you say about us, not what others say about us. It's good to have encouragement. It's good to have confrontation. Father, it's good to be critiqued. But Father, those critical people, help us ignore them and really look to you to find value and significance and that we matter. How do you want us to respond, Father? Some of us here need to do something quickly, not to put it off, to repent quickly. Some of us here need to be baptized, Father. And we need, we need to do it now, not next week or next month. And Father, I pray that some of us here who have gotten away from you, like the prodigal son, help us realize we can go back to you 
it's much better with you than anywhere else, and that you'll run, you'll go through shame, Father, to bring us back and to have us back. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.